All right. Great to be with y'all. Y'all heard that song? Mamaw's House. Anybody, anybody listen to country music? Mamaw's House is like, <laughs> you know, I was driving uh, in West Columbia. You're driving West Columbia, you got to turn country on. It's just kind of, they kind of go to hand in hand yesterday. And uh, uh, I was listening to the variety of art, artists solve the problems of the world. Um, the first artist solved the, I don't know who it was. It was one of those girls, which is basically the way all singers have solved problems for all of history. Like 24 hours with one girl or, or with one guy. Like I'm one of those guys, you're one of those girls. So uh, clearly we don't believe that philosophy right here, right? Like because it's a 24-hour solution, it's going to go away. It's been disproven billions of times, right? Like, and then there was a guy who's singing if, it would, if we were just, I mean, the effect of the song was... If we could just act, all act like small towns, we'd fix the world, right? He, he said, doing things a little different around here. And he was talking about all flags and stuff like that, American way. That'll solve all the problems of the world. Um, you're going to hear a lot of that in the coming months as we try to elect another president, right? Everybody's going to have a way to solve the problems of the world. And then Thomas Rhett comes on and sings about Mamaw's house, which I, I, it, was, it was a classic song. What you call your grandma? Mama, Mima, Mimi, any any Gigi's? That's what my kids call Mama Gigi. My grandkids call Cheryl Moji, uh, which is the only Moji in the world that I know of. But like we're down. Like we, there's all these names, but evidently his grandmother's name Mama, and he sings this song, and I thought it was classic. He's solving the problems of the world at Mama's house. And here's the line: If every nightstand had a Bible, every front porch had a swing. If every backyard had a garden and every front porch had a screen, well, maybe this crazy world would straighten up and slow down if every town had a mammoth's house. Not bad, not bad. Like, if you were going to solve some problems in the world, mammoth's house might, a Bible on every nightstand would be good if you opened it, but having it there <laughs> is positive. Front porch swing, it'd be cool if we knew our neighbors, if we were a little bit more connected to what's going on around us. But I love the line, my favorite line, because of this series was uh, if the world, uh, maybe this crazy world would straighten up and slow on down. If you haven't been with us, we took the first two Sundays of the new year and we just asked ourselves this question, are we going too fast? Are we addicted to hurry? And then we challenged one another on how are we going to slow down a little bit? Last week, I asked everybody, how have you slowed down a little bit? And everybody looked at me like I didn't, but it was a good sermon, right? Like that's kind of how it went. <laughs> So then I'm like, so what did you, so, I, so this week, I had this goal of not texting anytime while I'm driving. I text twice this week. Last week was three, like I'm reducing. Uh, one was like just okay to somebody, and I'm like, oh, I wasn't supposed to do that. And the next time I just straight rebelled, I'm like, I got to do this right now. And it's just this exercise. Some of y'all may have rebelled against the Stanley Cups because we say, well, let's rebel against something, right? Like, if one of the students put duct tape on their Stanley Cup, I'm like, down. You are the prototype radius student. I, I love that stuff. Like, how are you pushing back? I did hear this story, and for parents in the room, I thought it was amazing. It was, it's a friend of mine out of state. Uh, uh, her husband and I are friends. She's a counselor, and she's had so many bad sessions with students that they decided to limit how the phone works. So they have this cash reward when their kids go to college if they don't add the app. There's a couple apps, Snap, uh, Insta, 
there's this cash reward that builds over the course of time. I'm like, that is brilliant. And, and if they download it, then it goes back to zero. So, like, it's this really interesting moment where a parent who's seen the carnage of what social media has done to kids, just saying, I'm a, we're going to rebel. And we're going we're gonna to make it kind of fun. We're going to have this thing. And, and as you guys and we talked about it, the reason we're doing it, like, the reason we would talk about some disciplines of slowing down is because it's just good for us. Not because we're trying to uh, meet some kind of crazy standard, but just because it's good for us physically, emotionally, mentally. But in the end, hopefully you remember what we said, real rest is only found in Jesus. You can be disciplined. You cannot text and drive. You might live a little longer, but real rest is only found in Jesus. And so we are going to take weeks and weeks reading through a book in the Bible called Acts, If you remember from last week, the first book was called Luke. It's one of the four Gospels. This guy named Luke wrote it. He was a doctor. He's, uh, man, he's writing for intelligent readers, but not intellectuals. Like, he's he's writing it so that you can understand it. When I say intelligent, I'm not talking about your ACT score. I'm talking about you're interested and you want to know that this is true. So he writes Luke and tells you the story of Jesus. And then he writes this sequel, Acts. And the book of Acts really is about, still about Jesus, but we get to see Jesus work through the Holy Spirit and through people to tell the world what the answer is to the world's problems. The country singers are going to sing it. The politicians are going to state it. Folks have been selling answers to the world's problems since it began. But Jesus has an answer. He actually would say that he is the answer. And then when you ask, how is he going to get out that good news, what does he say? You will. You. You. When I say you, I mean you. You will get the good news out. Let me pray, and we'll jump into this book called Acts. I don't know how to ask it, Lord, but. I want more than words I can say. Sat up here thousands of times and said words. And try to be true to your word. But particularly today and most Sundays, Lord, I really want you to speak into us. It, it shocks me, and I, I love when you speak into one of us. Maybe by using my words, but maybe independent of my words. That doesn't matter, Lord. I pray that you'd speak into us in the room. I know all variety of folks in the room. Some, this is really awkward just even to be here. It was a big step to come. Pray that you'd meet them in the awkwardness. Some have done this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. I pray that you'd meet them in the repetition. That there'd be at least a moment this morning where you connect with them as I just tell the same old story that's been told so many times. You're the one that uh, made the story powerful in the first place. Pray that you'd make it powerful today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you know how the Bible works. Um, it's the Old Testament and New Testament, and the New Testament starts with four Gospels, and then this book, Acts, which really takes on some history, and the writer Luke just 
he kind of just goes right into it. He picks up where he le left off with Luke, and he recaps it just briefly in a few verses. We hit those last week, and then he starts telling you a story. So that's what I want to do. I'm going to start in verse 6. If you've never been here before, we read a little bit, talk about it, read a little bit, talk about it, and trust that God will speak through his word to us. So verse 6 of chapter 1 of this book called Acts, he says, we, we read this last week. Let me just review just for a second, and then we'll get into the new verses. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? I love that question. That's why I want to repeat it. I heard a guy say, it's kind of like when you're driving down the road and your kid in the back seat says what? Are we there yet? And the apostles and the disciples, they've been following Jesus for three years, and they're like, are we there yet? And they've got a picture in their mind of what there looks like, right? Because in their mind, Israel is going to be the top nation. That's, that's what Jesus is going to restore. And Jesus evidently perhaps is this king in waiting. They know the story of David, and David waited for six or seven years, and then he became king. They know that story, and they're thinking Jesus is going to establish his kingdom it, polit politically here on earth in this moment. And so they're, they're consistently, they, they've done it earlier in Luke, and now they're doing it in Acts. Are we there yet? No GPS. Right? Like you can't look at the GPS and see if we're there. Now kids just look up at the thing on the front. The cool part about this is that it's not even really clear where we're going. They got a picture in their head where they're going. Jesus has told them where they're going. He's talked about this kingdom he's going to establish. But it's really hard to get a full grasp on where is that place. And so Jesus replies, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. And then he says this. Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Pretty Simple, straightforward. I love it. They're asking about how are we going to solve all the problems of the world? What's the political answer? Can we just go to Mamaw's house and fix everything, right? Like, like that's how they, they got to picture. Going, we're going to go back to how it was when David was king. And then Jesus, it's actually in red print. If you've got a, a Bible in front of you, it's one of the few times Jesus speaks in the book of Acts. He gives them this answer, and, and his answer is, you will. He says it twice. He says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. It's, it's just really interesting and overwhelming a bit as we read this book of Acts that he is saying the answer to the world obviously is Jesus, but you are the one that's going to take it to him. You're the one that's going to take the good news of the rest in Jesus to the world. And so as you sit here this morning, I want you to understand the book of Acts was written to you, but about you. Okay? We call it the Acts of the Apostles. It only really names Peter and uh, Paul primarily. It mentions James and John. But by the end of the book, it's really the Acts about everyone who follows Jesus. And when you get to chapter 28, you're actually going to feel it say, this ain't over yet. Like the Acts are going to continue. The Holy Spirit's going to continue to work to through people, and you will take this good news to the world. So, so the book of Acts is the story of the early church, but it's the story of Jesus. And then it really just kind of extends for a couple thousand years to where we are. And what are we saying today? 
Are we there yet? Like, we got to be there now. Are we there yet? And the more you read it, as he says, you will receive power. It seems to me that he's saying, stop looking at the GPS and look out the daggone window. Look at that tree. Look at those mountains. Look at those people walking down the streets. Watch how you're making this turn. Enjoy the journey. Because I'm walking with you and because the Holy Spirit is walking with us in this life, then there's a little taste of heaven right here on earth. There's a great book. If you want to read it, Stevie's been passing it out. It's by a guy named John Bunyan, 400 years old, Stevie, I think, or so. It's called Pilgrim's Progress, all about the journey. It's all about the journey. If you read it in the Old English, it's going to take you like a year to read it. Like, but if you, if you get the updated version, it's going to take you like six months. It's still hard to read. But it, as you read through it, it just reminds you of this journey, and it's difficult. It doesn't make it all seem great. Everything doesn't go perfect. As a matter of fact, lots of things go wrong. But it's about doing the journey with the living God. As you're going to this place, you don't know exactly where it is. You just know he's there, and that's where you want to be. And so Jesus makes this statement. He gives them this job, and he says, you will. And by the end of this sermon today, you're going to hear you will so many times. You're going to be sick of it. But hopefully you'll remember those two words. And then verse 9, after saying this, I love this. Like you're just reading it. It's just plain. He was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And some of y'all grew up in church. You've heard that a bunch of times. And you've completely forgotten what the guy or lady who's here for the first time thinks when we read that jump. Like, you're like, <laughs> they're like, y'all crazy. He was what? Like, he was, he was taken off, <laughs> like, into the clouds. Like, we talk about some of that. It's just a reminder for those of we're, we're on a mission in this world to share the good news. Remember, people, like, the good news is crazy. <laughs> After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. Anybody got questions? Did he go up fast or slow? Anybody ever ask this question? Like, like, really, when you read it, if you just slow down and read it, it actually seems like he must have gone up slow, not fast. Because they watched him. They stayed with him as he goes up. So their eyes are trained to him, and they're watching him go up into the clouds, says the, the passage. It, it must have been an insane experience. And why does Luke write something like that down? Is he trying to actually convince people to follow Jesus? Or is he trying to, trying to convince them that we're crazy? He's just stating the facts. I think that's one of the beautiful parts about reading this passage. He just writes it down. This is what they said happened. Luke wasn't there. This is what they said happened, and so I'm going to write it down. He ascended, as we said, verse 10, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Angels, we assume, white-robed men. This time, they don't freak out. Normally, when they see an angel, what's the first words out of your mouth? Yeah, the, the angel actually has to say something before you can. The angel goes, fear not. In this case, they just watched a man ascend into heaven, and so angels ain't no big deal, right? Like, well, you're welcome to the party. This is the weirdest day of my life. And the angel says this, men of Galilee, I love this. I hadn't thought about it at the time. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Dumbest question ever answered by heaven. We just saw a man ascend into heaven. That's why I'm staring into heaven, right? Like, like and then their answer is even worse. 
Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday you'll return to he-, he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him come. And I would be like, that's why I'm staring into heaven in case he comes back. Like, I, I want to see, like, I'm trying to follow this thing. It's, it's really interesting to watch this whole thing go down as he ascends into heaven. He rises slowly, I mean, however slowly is, into heaven. What is going on here? What is heaven? Right? If he ascends into heaven, what is heaven? Is heaven up? Anybody? Is, how could it be up here and up in Asia? I don't know if y'all know this, but the earth is round. <laughs> How's it up from both places? What is heaven? So he ascends into heaven. And I like just to simplify you for a little bit as you read the scriptures, heaven is God's space. So he ascends into God's space. He actually uses the word cloud, right? In, in the Old Testament, we see God lead the people with a cloud through the desert, and, and it represents God. We see the cloud in the temple in a couple instances, the Shekinah glory. There's this cloud. So, so he ascends into God's space in, in, in overstated form here on earth, wherein our space. Overstated, believe me. But he, he ascends into heaven. And these guys are grappling with this whole, <laughs> this whole event that's just happened. And the angel says to him, Jesus has been taken into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I, I couldn't help in the English to go, you will, you will, he will. So you will, you will, and we still willing, me and you, until he wills. And one day he's coming back. There's a variety of views on how he's going to come back. Everybody believes he's coming back, that he will instigate, that he will return in the same way that he left physically, bodily. He's going to come back the same way. We don't know when that time is. He literally tells us in the passage that we don't know when that time was. But until he wills, you're supposed to will. You will. Um, I don't know if you've heard much about this ascension thing. I, I don't have a ton of time to, to talk about it, but for those of y'all that love prophecy, you want to go back and read Daniel chapter 7. This is this crazy fulfillment of a prophecy made long, long ago as Jesus ascends into heaven. If you love history, you could go back and look at some of the pictures of the emperors of the day that would say they ascended into heaven. So, so the emperors, the Roman emperors would say that their soul ascends into heaven. There's actually a, a drawing of Titus, who was one of the emperors in like the 80s, uh, just, just right after Jesus' time, him ascending, his soul ascending into heaven. And you know what? That, it was pretty convenient if you're the new emperor for your dad to have ascended into heaven. Because then you could say, I'm the son of God. Y'all do what I say. That would be really effective for the next president, if, if he could say that. My, my dad was God. But in this case, we actually have Jesus kind of upstaging the political deal, fulfilling the, the Daniel 7 passage, and, and ascending into heaven as a man, not just his soul. They literally watched him ascend into heaven as a man to take his place with the Father, which signifies all sorts of stuff, which ought to make me and you worship and pray. As we see heaven and earth connected through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, 
He ends his earthly ministry. He did all he came to do, right? He ascends into heaven. It's, it's the very last statement. It signifies success. He finished. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. And now he, and the last thing he says on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. Like, we're in control here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Man is not. It's time to go back to heaven. I'm out. Very clearly witnessed. He returns to glory. The only time we've seen Jesus in glory is at the transfiguration. He shows his glory here in just this moment as he returns to glory He's exalted by the Father, Philippians 2. He's going there to prepare a place for us. Like one of the reasons we're so excited about him ascending into heaven as a man is so that he would go to heaven and prepare a place for you and me as men and women. He sits at the Father's right hand, says many passages. First John says he's an advocate. Hebrews says he's a high priest. He says he's a mediator. He's the God man. He's up there representing us. I don't know what you think about your senators and representatives, right? Like, like they're representing us one way or another up in Washington, D.C. But Jesus is representing us not only like, like speaking up for us, but he actually made us righteous so that we belong. So when we think the ascension and him going to heaven, like this is a time to celebrate. And then we, uh, we can kind of prepare for his return because he showed us how he's going to leave, and we know he's coming back. So now the question is, will we obey those red letters that we just read just a few minutes ago where he says, you will receive power. Word for power in, in the Greek, dynamite, right? Like it's the same as dynamite, like power, power. And then you will be my witnesses until he will return. So then... He ascends into heaven, and the apostles, this group of guys, like I don't know how well you know your Bible, but this little group of guys, they head back to Jerusalem. They've walked as far as you can walk on a, on a Sabbath day, which is about a half a mile, and they're going to walk back to Jerusalem, and they're going to go to this room, and let's watch what they do, verse 12. Then the apostles return to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of about a half a mile. And when they arrived, they went, up, went to an upstairs room of a house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew. Please somebody name their kid Bartholomew. We just need one representative. We got all these other names. <laughs> Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and several other women and the brothers of Jesus. So, so here, here's what is shocking to me if you're just reading it. He's naming these names. We look back at them as great men because we've been reading the Bible for 2,000 years. But in their day, they weren't the top 11, right? They weren't the best 11. They weren't the smartest 11. They weren't probably the most righteous 11. They were the chosen 11. God chose them. Maybe if you watch that show, Chosen, and you, you, for the first time, grab some of their personalities as that artist, as he puts together, as they put together what they think these disciples look like. These are just regular dudes. And Jesus ascends to heaven after walking the earth for three years, dying, being buried, and rising again. And then he tags out average, regular dudes and says, you will. You'll get it done. I, I, as I've meditated on this week, he's not saying you might get it done. He says, you will get it done. 
you will be my witnesses. And I, I would say to you this morning that you could insert your name if you believed in Jesus. He's saying you will. <laughs> He's not saying how you will. Like you might rebel against God and uh, in every way you can at some point discredit your belief in God, but you can't limit what he's going to do. He's saying you will. You will take, be my witnesses one way or another. If you read the passage, ladies in the room, you've got to celebrate the fact that in a time when nobody names ladies in any of the writings, I'm not talking about biblical writings, I'm talking about worldwide, just men are named, that the Bible is consistently particularly in the life of Jesus, naming ladies and naming their involvement. Most people would have just named the 11 and dropped it at that, but he names the ladies. He particularly names the mother of Jesus. But there's other ladies mentioned in other parts of, of the New Testament. They, they were just there. They're still there. And what are they doing? They're praying and they're worshiping in response to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. The only way to respond is to call God great. And the next thing you know, you, you and me, you will. We got a chance. We're going to pray some tonight at the partner dinner. Like, we will. We'll bring some heaven to earth. When you're going to sing here in a minute, you're bringing heaven to earth. This world is dying to touch heaven in the goodness of God, in the greatness of God. So when we unite, as this passage is going to say, one pat, one, the King James says, in one accord. I'm a Honda guy. I always love that passage for some reason. Like, but like, like well, he put all of us in one accord. It's going to be tight, right? Like, like we're united voice when we sing and when we pray. So they're in this house. They're in this upper room. They're worshiping and they're praying. They're bringing heaven to earth. Men, women, in a time when there was never men and women. I think it's particularly cool that he names his family. There's mamas there. And his brothers are there. And if you know history a little bit, his brothers, his brothers didn't believe. Now he rose from the grave. He actually appears to one of his brothers named James. And his brothers believe, and they're there. And you can, can, you, can you imagine that? Worshiping your brother. I can't imagine that. I got a brother. I love my brother. Uh, they're worshiping their brother. You talk about Transformation. There's, there's this transformation. There's this little group of people, and they're worshiping. They're, it's their job to bring heaven to earth, and they were sent there. Jesus told them to go there and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so what do they do? They go pray and worship. That's why we do this every week. And for those of you that it's really awkward, I hear you. That's, that's normal, and it doesn't bother us at all that it's awkward. But I hope that at some point, worship, whether you're a singer or not, becomes a part of who you are. Because it's this crucial thing that the church has been doing for 2,000 years. It takes the beauties of what we're expecting someday. It incorporates it into this time right now that we live. Um, verse 15, during this time when the 120 believers, so about 120 stars showing up, were together in one place. Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas who guided those who arrested Jesus. And this was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was the one who shared in ministry with us. This is fascinating to me, and if, you, if you'll indulge me for a minute, it's fascinating how Peter deals with the guy who betrayed Jesus. So there were 12, 
Now we got 11, right? Everybody know this? Judas betrayed Jesus um, and had Jesus taken to the cross. So, so he was one of the 12, and now he's no longer, as we'll see as the text unpacks. But the thing that shocked me as I'm reading through the passage is one is Peter's confidence. He steps up in front of the 120, and he's got to lead them after praying and worshiping together. And then he addresses this issue of Judas that everybody's thinking about. You might be here today. Somebody talked you into coming this morning, and you're just waiting for me to fall because you've seen it over and over, right? And there's a guy, I saw a story about a pastor, respected pastor, had an affair this week, crashed and burned. Sad, but not new. It's happened over and over and over. <laughs> and uh, man, we pray here at Radius all the time that the Lord would lead us not into temptation. We hope that never happens here. But could it? Yeah, it's been happening and happening and happening, but it's never stopped the gospel. It's never even slowed down the gospel. For those who don't want to believe, it gives them a reason not to believe. And I would just, I would encourage you to go, is that, am I not believing because I've been hurt? Like, have you discounted the work of Jesus because the church hurt? Well, dude, look around. Like, this is a jacked up bunch you're sitting with today, I can assure you. And if, if you're real honest, look in the mirror. Like, like you were jacked up. Like, we're, we're all jacked up, and we've been failing consistently. And it's really cool to watch Peter. This is the guy who denied Jesus just a few days ago, right? He ran away. He didn't stand with Jesus. And now he's addressing this guy named Judas who actually betrayed Jesus. And what does he say? He says, Judas was one of us and shared in ministry with us. He doesn't call him a thief. Or any other word you might have had for Judas in the moment. He just acknowledges he was one of us, and he went off the rails. And then in the next verses, he unpacks what happened to him. It's, it's, it's horrible. A L- little hard for me to read out loud. I, I love that because you probably, if, if, if you want to push back against Christianity, you have a list of our failures. You've got a list of the fakes. You've got a list of the fallen. You've heard lots of faults. But the good news just keeps going. Despite the fact that Jesus, in his perfection, said, you will, it has not been stopped. Because he determined that you will accomplish his mission. So Peter tells him, here's what happened to Judas. And it's, it's painful to read. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery, if you remember, he uh, sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Falling head first there, his body split open, spilling out all of his intestines. How do you like that for details? The news of his death spread to all the people of Jeru- Jerusalem, and they gave the place an Aramaic name. I'll skip it, which means <laughs> field of blood. Uh, if you've read a little bit of Luke, a little bit of Matthew, you'll see a couple accounts of how this thing went down. I've heard people combine them. And so, so uh, one would argue that he committed suicide and hung himself. The other would argue a little bit that there's this uh, disease that he had. Many will put them together and say that Judas hung himself and uh, then his body decayed over time, hanging from the tree, and either the branch broke or the rope broke. And when he fell, 
he busted wide open. Not, not difficult to imagine. Sorry to hit you with that. But um, the cool part about Luke and his writing about Acts, he just doesn't seem that worried about putting all this together for you. Like sometimes I think we get really worried. We'll read one text and read the other, and we're like, we got to make this fit, and theologians love it because like, they can write books and sell them about it. But like there's, they, they want to make all this fit. But for him, like, like as you read it, what you ought to be asking is, Jesus said you will, and here's a guy who decided not to follow. And so Judas did proclaim the name of Christ, but he did it in rebellion. And he lost his life, and he, he, he couldn't even stand to live. Peter continued. This is written in the book of Psalms. So they're praying and worshiping, and he's reading Psalms. He's like, ah, Psalms. David wrote about this. Let his home become desolate and let no, no one with no one living in it. Let someone else take his position. And, and so he's... he's Reading Psalms, and that was about Judas. He betrayed one of his own. If you go back, you can read in Psalms. And, and then he says, and we're supposed to replace him. Why would they replace Judas? Why would they need 12? Anybody know the significance of 12? If you were Jewish, what, what, what was 12? 12 tribes. It's this really interesting moment where the Old Testament and New Testament are connected, 12 tribes and 12 apostles. It's, it's really interesting how this whole book that we have, there's a few folks out there that are just leaning on the New Testament and they're discounting the Old Testament. No, no, it's all one. One book. It's the Bible. It's for us. And, and it really acts, extends us into the future. You and I. We're taking all of that written from Genesis all the way to Revelation and you and I are the continuation. We're the ones carrying the word into new time. So he, he actually says he's going to come, he's going to find this 12th. And I think it's fascinating how they find So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire way when we're traveling with Jesus. From the time we were baptized by John until the day that he was taken from us. So from the baptism to the ascension, whoever is chosen will join us as witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Goes on. And then they, if you will, they cast lots. And if you don't know what casting lots is, it would be like drawing straws in our world. Like, which, which one's the longest straw? They, pull, they pray, they cast lots, and then they pick a dude. They pick between two guys. It's fascinating to me to watch them pick two guys at the end and then eliminate the one. Like, in our world, how would that work out? If I took one of the students, if I took two of the students and put them up here, and we prayed for 30 minutes to uh, identify which student was going to be our representative, like, what would happen in here? You know what I mean? Like, we would be really worried for the one who didn't get chosen. We'd be really worried for all the other ones that weren't one of the two. And we'd have all this, all this dilemma inside of us. But they were so focused on the mission. They prayed. They drew straws. They trusted the result. And both men handled it stupendously, as, as best we can tell. Check it out. Verse 23, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. I really wonder if that's why he didn't get picked, right? Because, like, <laughs> got too many names, dude. We can't keep up with all that. And Matthias. And they all pray, oh, Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle replaced Judas in his ministry, for he deserted us. He's gone where he belongs. And they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. End of the chapter. 
Like, it, it's not that complicated. Like, some of y'all are really, really worried for Joseph. How did Joseph take this? Did he have seed counselor after this? Like, like, what went down? Well, history would actually say that Joseph was this amazing witness for Jesus Christ. <laughs> As a matter of fact, James, uh, Jesus' brother, becomes this amazing voice for Jesus Christ, and he's not one of the apostles. Evidently, you don't have to be one of the apostles to be a part of the book of Acts. Well, it's not the Acts of the Apostles, Right? It's the acts of the church, of you and me. Jesus said, you will. And so this guy who's not one of the apostles gets it done. Justice is known throughout history as a great witness for Jesus. And the question for me today really is, will we? We will. How will we? Like, will we do it submitted to his authority? Or will we do it in rebellion? He's going to get it done with or without us. Mamma's house ain't going to fix this world. Much as there's some good ideas in Mamma's house. It'd be great to slow down. But Jesus proposed that the way to fix the world was for him to die on the cross. We celebrate every Sunday. Shed his blood to make you holy. To make you, to make you righteous, I should say. To make you righteous. That's how you change the world. And the whole world needs to hear that news. And the book of Acts is going to say to all of us, let's go. Because you will take that news to the world. Let's celebrate his death. Let's sing a little bit. Jesus, we do want to worship. I know. I look around the room. I know for some people this is just awkward. So in the middle of music, we pray that you produce something in our hearts that it's undeniably you pulling us into your presence. So many times, Lord, I've been able to sit with somebody who's never prayed before and hear them pray out loud and their eyes are filled with tears as they just experience that, whatever that is, Lord, where you meet us in such a real way pray that you do that right now Jesus you gave us bread and juice and told us to keep doing this you told us to do this in remembrance and as I read it it has this mystery to it and this power to it I pray that you would give your table Jesus power as folks interact with it And then, Jesus, we, uh, we want to be faithful to what you asked us to do. So even as we worship now, pray now, and take the Lord's Supper, we prepare ourselves to go. Give us courage to go. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.